We're talking about parenting on purpose. How many of you are parents? Just a show of hands in the room. Okay, a lot of you. Good. Well, early in the service, we obviously celebrated uh, child dedication and graduation. And the time frame between those two milestones for our babies is brief. I want to share with you a number that has had great impact on JC and me, and hopefully it will begin to shift things in your families as well. And the number is 936. 936. That is the amount of weeks you and I have as parents from the time our kids are born until they graduate high school. That's it. 936 weeks. They go by so fast. And if you don't believe me, just ask Tommy and Vicki Johnson, Christy Waltz, and Katie Clark, who had graduates walking across this stage this morning. Well, I don't claim to be an expert on parenting. I do have children. Uh, <laughs> and what JC and I lack in, as an experience as parents, we hopefully make up as youth workers. We've been working with and for students for 18 years, serving as a full-time youth pastor for seven of those years. It was August 8, 2008, 888, when the doctor delivered my firstborn, Zach. And I remember God saying to me in that moment, this is love. This is what I feel for you times infinity. And I cannot explain that to non-parents, but if you're a parent, you totally understand what I'm talking about. Uh, I would have done anything in that moment. I would have died so that he could live. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just, it's a love. I could just met you, but I'm so in love with you. And it was a love that was so strong. But whether you're an empty nester, a grandparent, a new parent, even a coach or teacher, what we're talking about today are six things that all kids need from caring adults. And if you're a note taker, I think these are worth writing down. So we're thinking about those 936 weeks. And here's the first principle, is a strong conviction. Strong conviction. When I say strong conviction, I'm talking about the high calling you and I have as caring adults of kids. More than anyone else on the planet, I believe parents are the biggest influencers in a child's life. But I hear parents say, Reed, what about culture? What about Post Malone and Ariana Grande and media and video games and all that stuff? And I'll just say, parents, your, your kids are going to be shaped by your actions, by your values, and by your beliefs. And the only time where media and peers win out is when parents pull out, or maybe even a bigger problem in our culture is when we're just too busy for our kids. Parents, you are too important for these kids. And they're a big deal to God. When Jesus walked on this earth, it says in Mark 9, verses 36 and 37, that he took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, uh, but the one who sent me. Jesus said, when you welcome a child, you're welcoming Jesus himself. That's a high calling, friends, and that puts a parent's life in perspective. And maybe one of the most powerful things that we can do as parents is introduce our kids to the Jesus that we know and model how to live life for him. Psalm 127.3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And when you understand that children are a gift from God, I think it changes your perspective because if God gave you a gift, you would treasure that gift. You would value that gift. I'm trying to get you to see that you're kind of a big deal. Have a strong conviction about what you're doing because then there's a shift in philosophy and you start putting your parenting above your paycheck. Ooh, I know, that was tough. You got 10 toes, I can break a couple, all right? Listen, I've never met a kid who wants 
you to spend more time at work. And, and, and I think a lot of times we spend time at work and we spend money and we justify that. We, we say, well, I'm trying to make money so that you can go to soccer camp or you can go to baseball or whatever. If you don't have strong convictions, parents, it will sabotage your best efforts. Strong conviction. Second principle is ongoing affection. Ongoing affection. Now, ladies, this one typically comes more natural for you. Uh, women are wired to be more affectionate than men, which is why never in the history of humanity has a kid ever got hurt in the front yard and came into the house screaming, Dad! That's never happened. Why? Because dads don't care. We don't care. <laughs> Your dad's advice is rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine. Like, Dad, the bone's sticking out. You'll be fine. Get away from the TV. Get your daddy some ice cream. Right? We don't care. We don't care. Uh, I remember growing up, my, my, uh, my mother used to give me, she's not here, so she can't defend herself, but she used to give me a, a, like a gold bell and I would ring the gold bell uh, when, I was, when I was needing something. I need a rag, ding, 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 ding. And I, I don't ever remember my dad ever doing anything. I don't remember him ever coming to my rescue or, or responding to the bell. And, and then I became a dad and I understood why. Oh, he was tired. Like I just, I didn't get it, but now I get it. That's a joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> But this whole idea of affection, gentlemen, this is something that emotionally healthy children have in common. What social science has done is they've taken a look at what emotionally healthy children have in common and affection is one of them. They've been given a proper amount of affection and been given a lot of it. And this is an area most men need to work on. All of us from the moment we're born have something in us called skin hunger. Skin hunger is the idea that we need touch, that we need affection. Listen to this. The need for skin hunger must be met in appropriate ways or we will settle for inappropriate affection. Let me say that again. The need for skin hunger must be met in appropriate ways or we will settle for inappropriate affection. If your kids are not getting affection from you, mom and dad, they will find affection from some other source. And I don't think I have to elaborate. But this is what research has shown. Now, I live in the real world, and I real, realize all of us have potential hurdles uh, with this one. Uh, read, I'm just not a touchy-feely person. That's not my personality. Or read, it wasn't modeled to me, so I don't know what that looks like. Or read, I was, I was the byproduct of misguided affection. And if that's you, I'm sorry. But we have to overcome our hurdles because our kids need us. Our children will suffer if we don't overcome these things. And I want to be tender to this topic because, but I want to challenge you too. My father did not show me a lot of affection growing up, but I've had to learn how to be an affectionate father. So I'm wrestling with my kids and I'm tickling my kids and I'm holding my kids and anything that I can do just to show them ongoing affection. And as they get older, I know they'll resist it more, but I've got to pour it on more, Right? When, when puberty hits, this is when teenagers begin to distance themselves physically from you. They'll back off from you. Suddenly, you're no longer cool. They're going to school with a Justin Bieber backpack, but you're the cool, not cool one. Uh, I don't understand that at all. But it's a stage of life where they're going to dish it out the least, but they need it the most. So pour it on. This skin issue actually carries on into adulthood and can become an issue in marriage. As someone who does a lot of marriage counseling, um, too many people step out of their marriage because there's a skin hunger famine in the home and it becomes insatiable and the need wasn't being met at home. So I'm going to step out and sin and find it being met in another way. Skin hunger is a real deal. You following me? 
So practice affection with your kids. Sit down with them to watch TV, throw your leg over them, right? If, if all else fails, just trip and fall onto them. Like whatever you gotta do, just show them some sort of affection. How many dads have daughters? Pour it on, dads. Pour it on, pour it on. All kids need ongoing affection. And notice I use the descriptor ongoing, right? Don't just go up to your son or daughter after church and go, hey, tiger, love you, right? No, you gotta, you gotta keep doing it and show them that affection, Meet that skin hunger need. The third principle I want to spend a couple minutes on is encouraging words. Encouraging words. Uh, how do I know if my kid needs encouragement? If your child is breathing, they need encouragement, okay? Ephesians 4.29, it's not on the screen, but it's one of my favorite passages. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We need to be builders with our words, constantly building. I've never met anybody in the history of the world that says, you know what, I've had it up to here with your encouragement. I'm so sick of your kindness. I've never met that person. We love it, right? Pour it on. Now stop, stop, keep going. Stop, now keep going, right? We like that. We love to be encouraged. So just encourage, encourage, encourage. Encouragement is food for the soul, but a lot of our kids are growing up in our homes starving, They're not getting the encouragement they need. Words are so powerful. Listen to this out of Proverbs 12. It says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Whoever made up the phrase sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a fool. I would much rather be hit by a stick or a stone because at least that wound will heal. In fact, research has shown that our brains and our bodies respond to physical harm and verbal abuse in the exact same way Both leave scars, but again, I'd much rather be hit by a stick because at least that scar will heal over time. Some of you are sitting here today as an adult and you had a word lodged into your heart by a caring adult, a parent, a teacher, a coach, and that's stuck with you and it's actually shaped you and you can't shake that word. Words literally have the power to shape people and I'll prove it to you. You've all, heard, you've all seen this, where a mother introduces her daughter. Hey, this is my daughter, Jill. She's shy. As Jill cowers behind her mother's legs because she's heard that modifier over a thousand times and it's literally shaped who she is. Hey, Reed, this is my son, Carlos. He's my wild child. As Carlos lets out a demonic laugh and sets a mesquite tree on fire, right? <laughs> We've seen that. And we, 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 we tell our kids these things and, and we, we shape who they are. Uh, I had a pastor that I worked with in Austin and he got really convicted about this because he would identify his kids. He would say, this is my son and he's a baseball star. He's my baseball athlete. What if he eventually stops liking baseball? And now he feels like, well, that's how dad identifies me. I, can't, I, gotta, I guess I gotta play baseball. What if he likes dance or football or the arts? He has a daughter and he said, I would use this, I would, she would do things that would make everybody laugh. And I said, there's my little diva. And he said, I was shaping who she was. And so when she's older and she's acting like a diva, well, I've helped shape who she is. We just gotta be so careful. So now he says, here's my leader. I love that. Here's my leader. We've gotta find a way. And, and I'll add with our spouse to be careful of the words that we say. If I secretly put a recording device in your home, and I recorded all of your conversations with your kids this week. And then I came back to my office and I transcribed everything that you said and I put it in two columns, a positive column or a negative column, which would weigh more? And my guess is in most of our homes, it would be the negative. 
We're always negative. Chances are we're always, why did you track your mud in the house? Get your backpack off the table. Hey, get your cat out of the microwave. But we're always getting onto our kids about different things that, that they're doing. Now raise your hand if you would rather be around positive people than negative people. Okay, everybody, right? Here's what's happening, listen. If you're constantly negative, you're conditioning your kids to not want to be around you. If all you're doing is being negative, and I'll, I'll add spouse. I've done marriage counseling where a husband, it's typically a husband, um, is staying at work till nine or 10 at night. And I do some, and that's wrong, but I do some investigating and I find out, well, it's not that he really loves work. He just don't like you. <laughs> you're just negative. You're just always on his case when he gets home. There's no peace in his home. He finds more peace in a quiet office. Right? We can't be negative. Like we, we can spin that around and start, start doing things that's positive. What if, what, do you, what do you switch things around? You start catching your kids doing right and praising them. Hey, buddy, you put the toilet seat down for your mom. Good job. Here's some licorice, a mountain, doing a gerbil. Go on, son. Like that, just something like that. We're just praising our kids, celebrating our kids. Catch them doing right. Let me say it again. The recording devices in your house have caught every word you've said to your kids. Kids. We're transcribing it and putting it in a category positive or negative. Just picture your kids, and I'll add your spouse with a tattoo over their forehead, encourage me. And just encourage, encourage, encouraging. And you're not gonna over-encourage your kids. Start somewhere. You may have to start small. Hey, you're breathing today. You may have to start really small. I don't care what. Just start somewhere and encourage those kids. We've gotta develop that, that skill. Y'all know about Rosetta Stone? Rosetta Stone, you can, you can learn different languages. Some of us need to take Rosetta Stone for encouragement and just learn that trait of just being an encourager, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And let me go a step deeper and, and say, encourage them beyond their performance. I think most of us, including myself, grew up in a home that was probably uh, performance-oriented or shame-oriented environment. So if I hit the home run, I felt like a champion. And if I struck out, I felt like a loser, right? Um, and I, I, it wasn't that they said, you're a loser. I just didn't get that same feedback. So try to figure out a way to encourage them beyond their performance and just say, hey, I love to watch you play, which is true whether they do good or they do bad. It's a true statement. I love to watch you play. Try to find ways to encourage your kids beyond performance. We don't want them to be approval addicts. When they're modeling a characteristic you champion, tell them, Thank you for being really kind to your brother. Thank you for helping your mom when she didn't feel well. Hey, I'm proud of you for standing up for your beliefs at school. Hey, I saw your report card and I know you're not cheating. Good job, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, just find a way to encourage them. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is saying the words from our mouth are formed from the condition of our hearts. And so if you're having a difficult time with this thing, you might need to do some, some things with this thing, right? Reflect, worship, pray, spend some time with the Lord. Thank God your words will follow your heart. And this action of encouraging words, when it is combined with Ongoing affection, it's a really nice one-two combo. Encouraging words is telling them verbally, I love you. Ongoing affection is telling them physically, I love you. It's a really nice one-two punch. Principle number four, 
is consistent presence. Consistent presence. And the way you spell presence is T-I-M-E. Spending time with your kids. A lot of people would say it's more about quality time instead of quantity time, and those people are wrong. (laughs) You'll know that I'm right when you get to heaven. God will show you. Uh, Oftentimes, when someone chooses to dish out quantity or quality time over quantity time, they're just making an excuse for their own poor choices and and their own busyness. Now listen, if you're a single parent, you're my hero. Step parents, also heroes. I love you, especially those single parents. Uh, I champion you if you're working hard to survive. But anything short of survival, if you're working to appease any other needs, stop. Because what happens is we blame ourselves and, and then we blame our kids. Well, I haven't worked so hard because you've got uh, oh, this cheerleading camp that I've got to pay for. And, and we're actually just justifying our own insecurities. Kids would rather have your time than your money. They would. As someone in my profession, I see a lot of people on their deathbeds, and I've never met anybody who's on their deathbed that said, I wish I would have worked a little longer. No, everybody's like, I wish I would have spent more time with family. And I promise you, if I could ask my my kids today, daddy can work an extra 20 hours this week and make some more money and buy you that really cool toy, or I could give you that 20 hours this week and we could do whatever you wanted to do at home, they choose my time over the money that I could make with that time. So don't justify, just, it, it's quantity time. It's quantity time. It's quantity time. I want to invest in my kids and have consistent presence. I read this research recently. It says the number one common factor in producing anger, hostility, and rage in kids is the perceived inaccessibility of one or both parents. Let me read that again. The number one common factor in producing anger, hostility, and rage in kids is the perceived inaccessibility of one or both parents. So it's not just presence, it's perceived presence. So you could say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, but if you're always in your phone, you're always in the computer, I know we have to do those things, but if that's what your kids are always seeing, that's going to produce anger, hostility, and rage in your kids. You would think the number one reason for anger, hostility, and rage in kids is taking a cell phone away from a 12-year-old, but that's not it. It's perceived inaccessibility. So the question regarding consistent presence is this, what may need to be sacrificed so that my kids aren't sacrificed? I, I was in high school, I was on the varsity golf team and I enjoyed golf. Um, I like to play golf. And by the way, I'm going to say this and preface this by saying, if you're a golfer, I'm not knocking golfing. I'm just giving you my illustration. Um, When my son was born uh, almost 11 years ago, I just realized I I need to spend more time with him. And so I gave up golf because golf, uh, unlike some other things like basketball or or other things that I enjoy doing, takes a lot of time, a few hours to, to do it. And then it also kind of expensive. And I may pick it up again one day uh, when my kids are grown, but I just said, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice this so I don't sacrifice them. I'm not asking you to sacrifice golf. I'm just asking, is there something that you need to sacrifice so that your kids aren't sacrificed? Right? And go through, the, through your list. Okay, where am I spending all of my time and try to figure out those things and give them away? Now, I want you to also notice that it's consistent presence and not constant presence. You can't be at everything all the time, but I want that to be the exception more than the rule. Okay, I'm not asking you to be at every baseball game, but just be there a lot because those three, 936 weeks are going to go by quickly and you can't get those back. 
Now, when it comes to consistent presence, let me talk about something that we don't talk about enough. And it's this little thing right here. Um, there's a new term coming out called technoference. Technoference means that technology is interfering in relationships. And you've all seen it. You may have participated in this where you're at dinner with somebody, you've seen somebody at dinner with each other and they're on their phones talking to each other over the table. It's a problem. Presence means I'm with you. Now, for those of you that are in here and you wear this earpiece out in public, you're a dork. I'm sorry, I don't, there might be a nicer way to say that. Um, that was never cool. That wasn't cool in the 80s. It's not cool now. So take it out and put it in your fanny pack. Now, listen, if, if you're driving, if you're driving and, and you've got it in your ear, I'll give you a pass. You're trying to be a safe driver. I appreciate that. In fact, if you're protecting the president of the United States, you can have an earpiece. That's cool. If you're the sham wow guy, I'm okay with it. You can have the earpiece. But if you're this guy, you're a dork. Okay. So stop it with the earpiece. Uh, we gotta, we gotta put that, uh, that one's for free. Just trying to help you out a little bit. <laughs> Here's what we've started doing a little bit. Uh, we, we, we try to ditch the phone when we're in the car. Um, now, obviously, if, if JC calls, then I'll answer the phone. But we really try not to make many calls in the, in the car or be on our phones in the car. And we try to limit the kids' activities on their iPads in the car. Guess why? They're trapped. <laughs> like it's an enclosed environment. They can't go anywhere. So it kind of forces them to talk to us. And as they get older and those conversations become less and less, you say, hey, no phones in the car. Tell me about your day. Right? So just find some ways to just put the phone away. Have some times of, of the day we turn it off. It's okay. I promise. The president of the United States is not going to call you. And if he does, he'll leave a message. It's okay. Turn it off for just a little bit. I want us to figure this out because when you're fully present, it sends the message, you matter to me. When you're on the ground reading a book to your child for the 80th time, you're saying, you matter to me. When you're at a seventh grade girls basketball game, you're saying, you matter to me. Because if you've been to a seventh grade girls basketball game, they're awful, right? Final score is six to four. It's not even a sport. Uh, I'm, you matter. You matter. That's what they want to hear. That's what they want to know. That's what they want to feel. Here's the next principle we're going to talk about today, and it's delicate discipline. Delicate discipline. A lot of us are disciplining our kids in the same way that we were disciplined, and so we're just reacting. And what I mean by delicate discipline is guidance with love, not punishment and anger. Let me say that again. So it's guidance with love, not punishment and anger. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. I just be, say be cautious with discipline. Listen, this is not a pro-spanking or an anti-spanking message. My wife and I have tried everything. We have tried spanking our kids. We've tried not spanking our kids. We've let our kids spank us. We've really tried everything. And I don't really know what the right answer is. Um, some of you are yellers because that's how your parents were, they yelled. Let me just say this, yelling produces angry children. It just does, and the cycle will continue with them until somebody stops it. Stop yelling. If there's one victory today out of this sermon and you stop yelling in your home, then it was a successful sermon for me. We've gotta stop yelling. I don't know why we're yelling. We're always yelling. It's gonna change your kids. It's gonna change the way you parent someday if you can just stop the yelling. Most parents never even think of it like that. I just do it because I'm angry or it's all that I've ever known. You haven't really thought through your discipline, so it's reactive. And when kids see you lose control, 
they begin to lose respect. And that's a really sad place to be when your kids don't respect you. Something we try to do in our home is we wanna clearly communicate the consequences, a fair consequence beforehand that matches or is connected to the offense. So if done correctly, it's not parent versus child, but it's parent and child versus the consequence. So let me give you a couple of examples. So like my sons are 11 and eight, or 10 and eight, fixing to be 11. And um, so they don't have a curfew, but there'll be a day where they have a curfew. Let's just say the curfew's 11 o'clock. So the, the clearly communicated consequence is son, if you're not home, by 11 o'clock on the kitchen clock, this clock, set your clock to this clock. You're gonna spend the next three weekends with mom and dad, what, right? So that when he comes in at 11.02, it's not me versus him, it was us versus the consequence. Oh son, I'm so glad that you're home. We were getting worried about you. I hope those last two minutes were amazing minutes because you get to spend the next three Fridays with dad. What, what? Right? Like that's what I'm gonna do. Now in that moment, I'm sure my son's not gonna go, dad, you're the greatest. Thank you for teaching me responsibility. He's not gonna do that. But I'm teaching him responsibility because guess what happens? Kids are smart. If they're two minutes over the clock and you don't say anything, they're gonna go, hmm. Tomorrow I'll do five minutes. And the next day, seven minutes. And the next day, 11 minutes. And then I'll come in at, oh, 11.25, that's when dad loses his cool. We're gonna keep pushing that boundary. It's kind of like in the grocery store. You've seen it, where a kid is screaming their heads off. I want candy, right in the aisle. Candy, candy, candy. And as a parent, what you want to do is just here. But you're just reaffirming that behavior. Oh, that's how I got my way, is screaming so then I'm just gonna scream every single time I want something until I get it. So as hard as it is, you have to go, no, no. In fact, you're not gonna have candy for the rest of your life. Now it's gotta be a fair consequence. But you gotta figure out, and you gotta match it to the offense, okay? Like if my youngest son is, is ramming his brother with his bicycle, I shouldn't say, you're grounded from TV. Like that's not fair. You're grounded from the bicycle. You can't be on the bicycle this week. So try to match, but, but it's a good advice is to fairly communicate, clearly and fairly communicate that consequence before the offense, so again, when they commit the offense, you say, hey, bub, that's on you. You knew the consequence. That's not on me. Don't get mad at me. That's all you. Well, dad, it was a wreck. Well, you should have planned for that, man, right? And it just helps clearly communicate the consequence. It'll help you out with that. Finally, the last principle and the fun one is to plan fun. I want you to plan fun. Um, your kids are gonna go find fun and my wife and I just made it a priority that we're gonna we're going be the fun house. Uh, growing up, uh, one of my best friends was Caleb Hurley and uh, Keith and Karen aren't here today, I don't think, but they were the fun house and we always were at their house. Your kids are gonna find the fun house. And so when we bought our home, uh, we wanted to find a home that had some fun. And it, it, we have a, a little... A little um, kind of a mother-in-law suite in the back of our house and we're gonna make that the fun room and we're gonna put some hot dogs and some sodas and maybe a pool table eventually. Just some, I want it to be the fun house so that all the kids say, let's go to the Johnson so I'm influencing them as opposed to my kids going somewhere else and being influenced by who knows who, right? So plan for fun. Uh, we try to do things like we, um, we do at Christmas. Our kids get so many just toys, just stuff, right? And so a couple of Christmases ago, we got them both like dream vacations. I took Zach to Philadelphia and we went and watched a big wrestling event there. And then Jack got to go to Disney World. And it was, and what's funny is this last Christmas, we didn't do that. And this week, am I lying? This week, 
Zach was talking about what's the best day in your life. He was like, <laughs> we were having like dinner conversations and he goes, mine was when we went to Philadelphia. Like he still talks about that. It was different. Instead of getting them a toy that's gonna just get dust on the closet, we, we thought let's do some experiences. So maybe be creative with that. Vacation together annually. Uh, I'm, I have a work trip that I have to do in a couple of weeks and it's on the beach. So we're taking the whole family. We're just gonna go to the beach together, try to get, to, get away to get it together. Um, start fun traditions. I've got some pastor friends that have done some fun traditions. One of them does, um, uh, they, they uh, have a, an amazing race across Austin. And it's, it's a dad and his two boys and the mother and the daughter and they're in separate vehicles and somebody creates this race and all these pit stops they have to make all over Austin and they have to see which one finishes first. And it's an annual Box family race. That's the name, their last name is Box. And it's just it's fun. I have another pastor friend of mine who's a, a church planner in Brazil. And uh, he and his kids do a photo competition through the month of December. And so they say, today we're gonna take a picture of a building. So everybody takes a picture of a building and then unmarked, they post all three pictures on Facebook and all of their friends go on and vote for which one has the best picture. And they see who's the best photographer in the family. It's fun, I look forward to, to voting every year. I've got another pastor friend who lives in California and he does this thing called coaster catch. And when they go to restaurants and they're just waiting for their food, they get the coasters, you know, and then they throw them at each other's mouth. They have to catch them with their teeth, which is really, really hard to do, but it's a lot of fun if you're watching them from another table. Um, there's this, I mean, but you know what I mean? The traditions are fun. I have traditions in my home. I remember traditions growing up in my family and I've carried them on to now with my kids and I want to create more traditions. In our family, we have a thing that we, we're doing called Monday Fun Day. We haven't started it back since we've been in Snyder, but we're going to do it tomorrow. And every Monday uh, evening when I get home from work, we're gonna, one of us will plan something fun to do. So Zach's turn is tomorrow and whatever he wants to do, we're going to do it. Then next week is Mama's Week and the next week's Jack's Week and the next week's my week. But it's been kind of a fun thing that we do and it makes Mondays, which is a oh, day, really kind of fun. We're looking forward to Monday Fun Day. But make a commitment to plan fun. We're gonna have some fun around here. Plan it. If you don't plan it, it might not happen, but plan fun. Now, let me just say this as, as I close. You cannot go home today and say, hey, I'm gonna encourage you and touch you a lot. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I just want you to start somewhere. Start somewhere. Was there one principle that you pulled out of today that you said, you know what, I could be better at that. And I'm gonna make a point to be a better encourager or to try to be better with my affection or to plan some fun, man. We're just kind of going through life and I can't remember the last time we got away to have some fun together. Start somewhere. I promise your kids will appreciate it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is... Um, such an important thing. These kids, as we've talked about all day, are a gift from you. And there's not anybody in the room, myself included, who can't be a better parent, grandparent, coach, teacher, influencer, neighbor. That we would love these kids and point them to you. God, I pray that you would help us to do some of these things we've talked about. That we would have a strong conviction that our role as a parent is massive. It's important to you, thus it's important to us that we would have the ongoing affection, that we would have the encouraging words, that we would tell our kids that we love them both physically and verbally, that we'd have consistent presence in their life, not constant, consistent presence.
in their lives. That even when we discipline them, we could do so with delicacy where they would know that they're loved in the, in, in the midst of this. And that we could plan some fun. God, you're all about fun. You're a fun God. That we could have some fun. There's just six tips, but I, I pray that we could implement one or two of those in our homes and immediately we begin to see a difference in our relationships with these that we call our own. And Lord Jesus, I'm cognizant there are people in this room that don't have a relationship with you. They're heavenly father. And I don't want this Sunday to pass without giving them an opportunity to place their faith in you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. And so if that's you, say, Reed, I, I don't know that I have a relationship with my heavenly father, with Jesus, and, and I, I want that. I want that with God. I want you to slip your hand up. Again, nobody's looking. I just wanna be able to know who I'm praying for. I see you, awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Beautiful. Let me just pray this prayer. I, I, I hope that you'll pray this with me. Even if you pray it under your lips, just mean it as the only thing. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that you are my heavenly father. I'm thankful that you love me. And Jesus, you love me so much that you came to earth to die for me, for my sins. You were buried and that you rose again. And because you gave your life for me, I want to give my life to you. I surrender all that I am to you today. Come into my life. Set me free. Start me over with you leading me as Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give a hand clap to those who put their faith in Jesus just a moment ago? Come on.